Hey family, welcome to our midweek Bible study. Thank you so much for joining us on this cold, snowy night. We've got a lot of ground to cover, and I know that some will still be joining in with us this evening, but I want to get right into the message and so that I don't keep you hopefully past the 7 o'clock hour. Let me ask you to be sure and um, click the online uh, giving opportunities that you have, and if you haven't heard about the Christmas offering yet, then I pray that you'll join with us in the Joyful Christian Noise offering this year as we make a difference in people's lives around the world. Everything from building houses to helping with an orphanage to caring for people right here in our community and even replacing that faulty sound system that has failed in our in our, the roof of our uh, sanctuary with new speakers that will help us make a joyful noise as well. So be sure and let me know if you need more information about that. I'll be happy to communicate with you. Well, today, earlier, we shot a video, Pastor Corey and Becky and I did, regarding the, the senseless shooting that took place at Oxford High School in Oxford, Michigan yesterday. I, um, I found myself stunned. I was actually out of town for another meeting, and when I got the, uh, the text message from the, or I should say the news flash from the Detroit newspaper of what was going on, and I just, you know, and I know you felt the same way. There's just grief. That's not supposed to happen. And I'm sure that when a school teacher goes to school or when most school teachers went to school, they never thought about there being a gun shooting. But a few years ago, I said to our congregation, you must always pray for your children's safety as you send them off to school in the day we're living in. Pray for their moral and spiritual safety, their mental safety, but also pray for their physical safety as well. Tony Campolo told a story one time that really caught my attention. And uh, in his story, this is what he said, and it's a true story as he was relating it, that uh, a man would, you know how traffic jams can happen on the highways from time to time? Well, he got caught and could not get onto the highway for, he said, he waited a quarter of an hour. And just as the space opened up for him, a guy passed him on the right, blocked him from getting in, and laughed at him and made an obscene gesture at him and pulled into the traffic. Well, when the man was finally able to pull into the traffic himself, he waited until traffic came to a stop again, and he reached in his glove compartment and pulled out a gun and walked up to the driver's window that had made the obscene gesture at him and cut him off, and he killed him right there, just shot him right there. And I remember thinking, you just don't kill people for doing stuff like that. You know, you just don't pull a gun out and shoot somebody. And, and yet we all know, at least I do, maybe all of you in here, you don't tonight, but I know what it feels like to, to get angry and to be cut off in traffic, but we don't just pick up a gun and kill somebody. And yet we watch that happening more and more today in our society. It's not just our children but it's boyfriends killing girlfriends. It's girlfriends sometimes killing their boyfriends. It's spouses killing one another. Sometimes it's those tragic stories we read about where teenagers have killed their parents. And we, we read stories like this and they make us cringe because we know deep down in our soul this just not right. So I want to go to the Bible tonight and I want to talk about how we can transform our anger from a stumbling block into a stepping stone. 
Because I promise you, there's something that each of us deal with in our lives that can make us very angry. So let's pray, and then we're going to dive right into this tonight. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the wisdom of your word, but we also thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit that lives in our hearts, that helps us to live godly and, Lord, spirit-controlled, self-controlled lives that honor you and honor one another. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, first of all, let's acknowledge the destructive uses of anger. Acknowledge the destructive uses of anger. All of us have probably had those moments when we have been destructive in how we've responded with our anger. You know, there's some people, they advise you to let it all hang out. I don't think that's good advice, and I would never give that advice, and I don't think that's what the Bible says. You know, these are the people that kick the dog, and I tried to remember the name of the character in the Andy Griffith show that when he would get mad, he'd throw a brick through somebody's window, and uh, then he'd make a little whooping noise, and he'd run off, but it was his way of, of getting back at people. He was letting it all hang out. I've been in the grocery store and seen people get angry at a cashier or get angry at another shopper and just let loose with a string of obscenities and things that have just made my blood curdle, as I, especially as I've watched the little children that are with them cower in fear. We live in an angry society. Some people have told me before, said, Pastor, I have an Irish temper. I just can't control my temper. And I'm very quick to tell them that's a lie from hell that you've believed. You can control your temper. A woman came to Billy Sunday, the great evangelist, years and years ago. She came to him and she said, you know, she asked for prayer. She said, I have this uncontrollable temper. I just burst out in anger. And then after she told him everything, she was kind of embarrassed. So she said, but it's over with in just a minute. And this was Billy Sunday's reply. Well, so is a shotgun blast, but it does a lot of destruction in just that little minute that it takes place. I've looked at famous people for the years and tried to see how they handled their anger. FDR was very, very well known for suppressing his anger and smiling, even when people were shouting and screaming at him. But he died in my home state of Georgia at only 63 years of age from cardiovascular disease. And then you take Harry Truman, on the other hand, who could let loose, according to his biographers, with some pretty colorful sayings when he got angry. He lived to be 80-something years old, but still, either way, suppressing or expressing our anger, it's dangerous to do. Another thing that people sometimes do, and it happens in families, it happens in marriages, sometimes, unfortunately, it even happens in churches, is people break off their relationships rather than trying to reconcile and work through the things that have made them angry. Look with me at the Word of God tonight in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 through 27. Don't let sin, excuse me, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Underline that in your outline. First of all, don't let sin control you. Underline that. And then notice, anger gives a foothold to the devil in your life. You don't want the enemy to have a foothold to gain an advantage in your life. The wise man, the wise king in Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 22 said, an angry person starts fights and a hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sin. Now notice that. Somebody that's easily angered, they're constantly getting into fights, 
but they will start fights just because of their anger. Les Carter wrote a book about being good and angry. Let me read, with you, read to you tonight 11 ways that Les Carter said that you could get angry. Number one, take pride in being a perfectionist and expect everyone else to be. You know, perfectionists tend to be nitpicky. They force people around them to do what they want them to do rather than trying to lead people to do what they want them to do. They're, they get furious about small mistakes, and they're always real loud and fussing about spelling errors and late bills or late appointments. Secondly, don't listen to anyone, Dr. Carter says. Don't listen to anyone else's view but your own. Keep pushing your own view as the right view because you know that you are right all the time. You know that you never make a mistake and you know nobody knows as much as you do and your way is always the best way. The third thing that Dr. Carter says, if you want to live an angry life, he said, overload your schedule. He said, because then you'll be miserable. You'll be like a rubber band stretched to the breaking point and you're always on the edge. Fourthly, Dr. Carter said, expect other people to cater to your needs. Why? Well, isn't that the reason God put them here on this earth is to take care of you and to meet your needs? You know, I remember listening to a local politician say one time in Detroit that the government was here to, to meet our needs. And I thought, boy, that is really opposite. And I don't mean to be political with this, where we expect the government to meet our needs. No, we expect the government to take care of the business that we, take care, that we give to them to take care of. And then we work hard to meet our own needs. Fifthly, never laugh and never have a good time because life is very serious business. And I got to be honest with you, I had to learn this one. Becky brought so much laughter and so much joy into my life because I had, a, as, a, as a young person, young man, I prayed for a vision that God would help me see what it was like for people dying and going to hell. I talked about that years ago here at church, and I never want to relive that experience again. It was a miserable, frightening experience in my life, and everything became so serious for me that I always had to be about the business of reaching lost people for Jesus. And Becky helped me to learn how to relax and how to enjoy life and to say to me, you know, don't see yourself as other people's salvation. Learn to trust God. Learn to know that God works in people's lives. And I remember watching the cross and the switchblade, and there was a song in there that was based upon a sermon that David Wilkerson had preached was about, we're not the ones converting people, but we trust the Holy Spirit to draw others to him. Dr. Carter goes on to say in that wonderful book, Good and Angry, he says, have no compassion for others. In other words, you worked hard and you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. You worked hard and you went to school and other people, if they'll just work hard like you do, doesn't the Bible say God helps those who help themselves? No, it doesn't. But a lot of people seem to think that. And so they have no compassion for the poor. They have no compassion for the unemployed or the underemployed. Number seven, make fun of and put down people who are different from you. Maybe their skin color is different from yours. Maybe the way they speak is different than yours. Use slurring words to ensure they're looked down upon. Yesterday on my way back home, I... Um, was returning some phone calls, and one of my phone calls that I was returning went to an answering service. And I could tell from the young woman's voice that she was from the South. And I said to her, I said, hi, my name is, and I told her my name, my name is Dennis Clanton. And I said, but I am originally from Macon, Georgia. And I said, that beautiful accent of yours 
tells me you're from the South as well. She thanked me profusely because people made fun of her accent over the phone. But she had that real distinct Southern drawl. And I said, no, it's music in my ears. And I just wanted to tell you, please don't ever lose that, you know. And she thanked me so much. And then we had to remember why I had called, you know, so that the person I was returning the call could get the message. Practice shouting. Practice hollering at everybody. See, your goal is to make everybody else miserable because you're miserable. And it will ensure that you have a miserable relationship, Dr. Carter says. And then ninthly, worship money and possessions because you want to get ahead. You want to make more money than your brothers and sisters make. You want to make more money than your father or mother made. You want to be looked upon as the most successful person and you will use people, you will use things to get whatever it is that you want in life. And then number 10, Dr. Carter says, never pay attention to your own weaknesses and to your own faults. And boy, when I read that one, I thought to myself, huh, if you're not going to pay attention to your own weaknesses and faults, don't ever read the Bible because the Bible is always shining a spotlight on areas of my life that bring conviction to me. And then number 11, Dr. Carter says, learn to nag, learn to nitpick, practice criticism and the snide remark. And he expounds on that by saying, Point out what's wrong with other people and always do it publicly. Friends, if we want to live angry lives, these are the 11 characteristics. Just one of them can cause us to live that angry life. And we have to acknowledge, I have to acknowledge when I go through this, there are times that I am tempted to do some of these. And so what we want to do tonight is look at how the Bible says, acknowledge the, how the Bible says, that we constructively use anger. So let's acknowledge there is a constructive use of anger as well. I've enjoyed through the years reading more and more about Henry Kissinger. Part of the reason was he was such an influential figure when I was in high school. And when I began reading biographies about Kissinger and studying his life, I didn't know this. I'd never read this in a magazine article, but back in 1934, there was a little Jewish boy named Heinz in Austria. He learned all of his religious lessons very well in Judaism, but Hitler youth were roaming the streets and they cornered him and they began to assault him and he managed to talk his way out of it. He says he channeled his anger into trying to talk and to have dialogue. And he managed to get out of that situation. He said, I learned that you could actually have a conversation rather than fight. Well, his family moved to the United States. And of course, they Americanized their, Americanized their names. And that Heinz became Henry Kissinger, who is well known for his works of peace and diplomatic work. You see, friends, you and I have to learn that there are times in life when it's more helpful to have a dialogue and a conversation rather than to fight. I don't know what was going on in the mind of this young 15-year-old boy. I don't know what was happening. I'm praying for him like Jesus taught us to pray. I'm praying for the families of those that are grieved. But something happened in that boy's life. I'm not judging his parents. I don't know anything about his home life. I don't even know anything about him. But as I read the newspaper, and some were coming in tonight telling me some of the details that I haven't had a chance to read about this afternoon, one of the things that I'm fully convinced of, if you were to go through this list of 11 things, you would probably find one, maybe two, or maybe several of those factors at work in his life 
that Dr. Carter talks about in his book, Good and Angry. Let's look at Exodus 34 and verse 6, because this is where I want to anchor my thought from on constructively using our anger. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Just a few weeks ago, we dealt with this verse of Scripture here at church at length, so I won't do that again tonight. But I think it's important that you see the connection between God's slowness to anger and His unfailing love and compassion. There is a way that instead of anger being a stumbling block for us, anger can become a stepping stone for us. And here are some things that I pulled from the Bible that I'd like you to take a look at. The best time to deal with anger is before I'm angry. The best time to deal with anger is before I'm angry. When we can understand what it is that leads us to be angry, I don't even want to use that phrase, makes me angry, because anger is a choice. So I would just encourage you tonight, maybe make an inventory of the things that make you angry. Maybe make an inventory of the things that when they happen or they take place in your life. Maybe if you keep a journal, one of the members of our congregation came to me this week and says, Pastor, I finally did it. I'm starting to keep a journal. You know, after over 20 years of encouraging them to keep a journal, they said, now I'm going to start keeping a journal. I'm just so happy to hear that. But one of the things they said is, Pastor, I, but I don't have an hour a day to do it. And I said, it never takes me an hour a day. I said, usually in five to seven minutes, I've journaled. They go, five to seven minutes? Really? So maybe you want to take one night, a question, and go, here are some things that cause me, that lead me to get angry. Then, secondly, make a vow to yourself. Once you've identified them, you're not going to blow up when it happens. I mean, I, can I tell you something that makes me angry? And, and this is when somebody eats a bowl of cereal at night and doesn't rinse out the bowl. And then the next morning when I've got to put it in the dishwasher to help my wife, I've got to scrub their old cereal out of the bowl. And, and you say, well, why don't you just leave it for them to do? Well, it's just quicker to get it into the dishwasher and, and for me to get it out of the way and to, and to comfort myself with saying, who is so lazy as to do this? But I've had to learn to make a choice. You know what? Rather than fussing, rather than yelling at somebody, just go ahead and take the 60 seconds that it takes to scrub out that raisin bran that somebody ate and put it in the dishwasher. Make a vow to yourself. You're not going to blow up. Secondly, consider the other person's situation. Consider what's going on in their life. I have wondered what's been happening in the life of this young man that did what he did at Oxford High School. Well, there are things that were happening that maybe his parents could have caught, maybe a, a teacher or counselor or pastor, a youth pastor could have caught. Were they in community? Was this a family that in COVID, they've just been cocooning? I want to use this as an opportunity to say, parents, this is a time to get your children and to get your young people back in the ministries of our local church here at Woodland. We need your children and your children need us and they need the community and the fellowship of other children. Consider their situation, and then when you make your list, and this is really important, I want you all to listen to me on this. When you make your list, don't start beating yourself up. Don't start criticizing yourself. If you start beating yourself up, you're not going, you just want to identify what those triggers are. And then when you feel yourself beginning to get angry, then take the advice of Thomas Jefferson, who says, when angry, count to 10. 
When really angry, count to 100. And I picked that up at uh, Monticello when we went there. And then I'd say, pray for strength. And I know those aren't in your outline tonight, but just, you know, if you want those, just send me a message and I'll be sure and send them to you. Be aware, be aware. The Bible says slowness to anger makes for deep understanding and a quick-tempered person stockpiles stupidity. Now notice that. When we're slow to anger, all of a sudden we begin to understand not only the other person, but we understand ourselves and we began to understand the consequences. This young man is scarred for life because of what he'd done. I shared this on the video. If you watch the video, I prayed with a friend of mine who, who I've attended his funeral that, you know, he was a war hero, decorated hero, good man. But one day in the hospital, he asked for me to come see him. And we sat and we talked in the cardiac care unit. And he just began telling me things I'll never tell anyone else. But he said to me, he says, Pastor, does God forgive all of that? And I read him scripture, and this strong man began to weep like a baby. No drugs, no medication that caused this. He began to weep. You see, he had not talked to anyone about these things, and we've talked about this at length before. He had not talked to anyone. He kept them bottled up inside of him but he had wrestled and dealt with anger and criticism for a lot of his life. I want you to hear me tonight. Slowness to anger makes for deep understanding. And when you begin to understand yourself, you can find someone to talk with or to pray with. But don't forget this either. A quick, a quick, a quick hit tempered person, they stockpile stupidity. You know, like some people were stockpiling um, toilet paper during the worst part of COVID or some people were, stockpiling coffee. I made sure I had plenty of coffee in case the worst happens. You know, you stockpile stupidity when you are quick tempered. Secondly, take it to Jesus. Take it, take what's made, take whatever it is that's leading you to be angry. Take that to Jesus and begin to pray over it. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, <clears throat> I want you to hear me. I'm not doing any injustice to the scripture when I say take every emotion captive to Christ. And I've preached several times on this subject, but let me just be real brief again. The Bible says, as a man or a woman thinks in their heart, so are they. Our emotions are controlled by our thoughts. God never intended that our emotions control our thoughts. And so if I'm thinking angry thoughts, if I'm thinking insecure thoughts, if I'm thinking prejudicial thoughts, if I'm thinking violent thoughts, I need, something really needs to set off an alarm in me. If you're thinking tonight so angry that you're having fantasies about killing somebody, or if you're having fantasies about harming yourself, you need to understand What's going on in your life? Take that thought captive to Christ. Because if you can take the thought captive to Christ, you can take the emotion captive to Christ. And when people talk to me about things like this, what I often say to them is what I want you to first do with me sitting here, I want you to pray silently. I want you to think it through. So I know three seconds is long dead time when you're on air. But for just about five seconds, I want you to think what is it that sometimes 
leads you to anger. I don't know if that was five seconds, but I counted to five slowly. You see, a lot of times we're not used to just thinking. So think through your prayers silently, and then I ask them, while I'm sitting here, I want you to pray aloud. And somehow or another, that few minutes, and in my study, we may sit for five, seven, sometimes ten minutes just silently. I'll read the Bible while they're praying silently. And then I'll listen to them pray. And I've seen people begin to weep. I've seen people slide out of their chair and get on their knees. There's something about thinking first, taking every thought kept. Does this make sense? Taking every thought captive to Christ that then transforms the emotions into healthy emotions. So I want to just do this right now. Can we, will you just bow your heads with me at home? And those of you here with me tonight, would you bow your heads and let's pray. Father, we thank you that you created us not only as thinking human beings, but you gave us this beautiful, powerful, wonderful set of emotions in our lives as well. Lord, you've also given us the ability to be angry, but not to sin. Lord, for anger to become a stepping stone, for being slow to angry to lead us, Lord, to deeper love and deeper compassion, deeper, Lord, joy, as we see, God, your good and perfect and pleasing will being performed. So I ask you right now, Holy Spirit, help us, because we just can't do this on our own. Help us to bring every thought captive to Christ. Every political thought, every social thought, every marital thought. And God, as we bring those hurts and offenses and pain, we just, God, we just take them like a big bundle and we lay them on the altar before you tonight. Jesus, heal our emotions and show us what we should be angry about and what we shouldn't be angry about. And help us to use our anger constructively rather than destructively. For it's in your name I pray. Amen. Now, if you're a Bible student, every sentence I prayed just now was informed by a verse of Scripture. Remember, I, I said Sunday in a funeral, punctuate your prayers with scriptural promises. Every sentence I prayed was undergirded by a biblical promise. The next thing I'd say is accept responsibility for your anger. Angry people typically never accept responsibility. Eve blamed the serpent. Adam blamed Eve. Adam, in a sense, blamed God as well. You know, we tend not to accept responsibility. You've got to accept responsibility for what makes you angry. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules the spirit is better than he that takes a city. You see, you have to practice anger control. Maybe talk about your anger quotient once in a while. You know, we have intelligence quotient tests. We have emotional quotients. Maybe we should talk about an anger quotient. And then ask the Holy Spirit, say, Holy Spirit, help me control, especially if you've been given to violent outbursts, saying cruel things, making crude remarks, or losing your temper, those sorts of things. You know the things that you've said and done. And then fourthly, now, this is just a little bit different than what I said earlier about make a list of what makes you angry. Define your anger. If you're going to be slow to angry, to slow to get angry, and you're dealing with it, 
Then sit down and define it. What are you feeling? What are you dealing with? Now, let me let you in on a little secret. There are many times in my journal I will write and I will pray about what has made me angry or what I'm angry about, and then I'll take that whole section, delete it, rip the pages out, shred it in my shredder, burn it up, whatever. Because once I've got it out on paper and I've defined it, I'm able then to get up with strength and understanding and deal with it. Does, does that make sense? You don't have to, don't, don't write something. For instance, let me just give an example. You know, don't write something about your son or your daughter that they've done that's made you really angry that after you die, they're going to pull out and they're going to read things that you said to the Lord in prayer that helped you define it and that could scar them. You don't want to do that. I don't want to do that to my children. I don't want to do that to my wife. I don't want to do that to my church, the church that I pastor here. And so, you know, I'm very honest and open when I'm writing, but there are times when I'm very honest and open and my kids don't like this. They say they want to read it all, but, you know, I'm the one, it's my journal. I'm the one that's going to leave it behind. I hope that makes sense to you. Define it. Understand this. I'm reading from the Bible. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen. Slow to speak, slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. I am not God. I am not infallible. You know what? I I practice a style of leadership called participatory leadership. I don't want to be a dictator. I have people around me who speak into my life, and I submit myself to them you know, I, I don't even want to be a dictator in my home. And so I, I yield to my wife and sometimes even to my children when we're talking and having conversations about things that affect all of us. Human anger doesn't produce. You see, if you take God's slow to get angry so I can get angry, human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. You are not God. And churches, I've led business meetings for churches you know, when I was uh, doing that sort of work, seeing people say cruel things, hateful things, mean things, families divide, churches divide. I've been on boards and companies where hateful and mean things have said, and then all of a sudden the, the company slows down. I participated on boards that have to do with education that I've been a part of. I've seen what human anger can do, and it never accomplishes the righteousness of God. But when we use our anger correctly, as God intends, it can become a stepping stone. So God goes on to say, get rid of the filth, the evil in your lives, and humbly accept the word God has planted in your heart, for it has the power to save your souls. You say, Pastor, how do I know what, if, if I'm supposed to be angry sometime and not sin, how do I know what that filth and evil is? Go back to Dr. Carter's 11 things that he wrote and left for you that will make you live an angry life. You know, when I don't get my way, I trust God. I trust God even in the process. If I don't get my way, I trust God in the process. I go home, I put my head on the pillow. Am I disappointed? Sure, of course, sometimes I'm disappointed. I've invested into those things that I think are good. But if it doesn't happen, I trust God. and say, God, I think you're protecting us. I think you're, you're leading us here, and I'm just going to yield to that. That's a good, healthy way to live. And I'll tell you this, you'll find God will honor that sort of decision. Where am I at on time? I, I don't want to go way past 7. 7.04, I'm already past 7. 
All right, let's do this real quickly. All anger is rooted in pain. All anger is rooted in pain. You might want to jot these down real quickly. I'm going to be real quick. If you want them later, you can text me or email me or something like that. Hurt usually involves something in our past. When somebody tells me I'm hurt, usually there's something in the past that has hurt them and they feel vulnerable. And so they're getting angry in order to protect themselves. They're, they're very sensitive. When somebody tells me I'm frustrated, then that tells me there's something presently going on in their life. There's an unmet need, an unmet goal, sometimes an unmet expectation. One of the best examples of dealing with this was when uh, Becky and I were directing youth camps. And I will never forget, there was a team that, you know, sometimes as a camp director, you see things that um, you just know, this particular team, they didn't have the athletic skills. They didn't have some of the uh, talent skill. We had all kinds of things that people could do to earn points. But this team, you knew they weren't going to be in first place. As a matter of fact, they kept falling further and further behind. But their team leader became an excellent psychologist, spirit-filled psychologist. And one day he set his team down, and he, we talked about it together. His name was Glenn. And he said, do you mind if I create a chant for them? It really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. And then when we come to church at night, we're going to go, this is what matters. This is what matters. And so that team of losers all week long, they carried that banner proudly. It really doesn't matter. And then they would come in for the camp services. This is what matters. This is what a great way to live life because camp was going to be over they weren't sore. They did lose. They, were sore. they weren't sore losers, and I've seen sore losers, and I got to tell you what I did. I love those, I almost said losers. I love those kids so much that I took pizza to their cabins and watermelons to their cabins that night because they had a winning attitude. So understand what really matters and what doesn't. And fear, when somebody tells me they're afraid, they're angry because they're afraid, there's something in the future that's concerning them and worrying them. And then I would say this. Don't let the pain that you're experiencing that's caused by others make you crabby at home. I understand that, but you don't want to be crabby at home. And then finally tonight, allow the Holy Spirit to transform your anger into good. Allow the Holy Spirit to do that. There's the scripture there. It's so important. I'd like to, I'd like to lead, read this one line from this verse of scripture. Would you just notice carefully with me? God decided, he decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. When I see what Jesus got angry at, he got angry at men for condemning a woman because she had been caught in an adulterous affair. When Jesus comes back, he's coming with grace and mercy. He got mad at people who were more concerned about their religious observances than they were about a crippled man being healed. He got angry at people who took the work of God and used it to fatten their purses rather than to worship God and to help others. You see, you see the slow anger of God being expressed not for a personal affront, but towards compassion for others physically, spiritually, emotionally, and 
in our worship for him as well. One more story, and then I'm going to close. I think it's the best story I know. Watchman Nee told the story of a Chinese Christian. And if you've never read any of Watchman Nee's books, they're deep, they're great. But he told the story of a Chinese Christian that he would pump water into his, his rice paddy to water his rice every single day from the, from the river. And his neighbor, when he got done pumping the water, would lift the board so that the, all the water he had pumped would run into his rice paddy and he'd have to rewater his fields again. Therefore, his communist neighbor wasn't having to water his rice paddy. The Christian was furious. He was filled with rage and thinking about all kinds of things he could do. Now, according to Watchman Nee, this is a true story. But he took his anger to the Lord in prayer, and he felt the Holy Spirit say to him, water your neighbor's rice paddy first, and then water yours. And doesn't it line up with Scripture? Take up your cross. Doesn't it line up with Scripture if they compel you to go a mile, go two? If they ask for your cloak, you know, you know, give them to them. So every morning he would go and water his neighbor's rice paddy first, and then he would water his, his rice paddy. It ended up that his Chinese communist neighbor became a passionate follower of Jesus Christ because the neighbor chose to take his thoughts and take his emotions to God, and the Holy Spirit helped him to control it and gave him a rock-solid idea that brought another family into the kingdom of heaven. May God bless us and help us to use our anger constructively and not destructively. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for giving us the model of Jesus, for showing us in his wonderful, sinless, perfect life how we too can live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I ask you tonight to help us take these words of wisdom, apply them to our lives, to our families, but at the same time, Lord, we pray for those that are grieving tonight, the parents who've lost their children. God, we do not have words. We only moan. We only groan in our spirits for those families. And we pray for this young man and for his family. Oh, Jesus, we ask you that justice will be done, but this young man will be saved. We pray all of this in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And amen. God bless you. Good night.